Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. everybody. Welcome back. Today we're welcoming Dr. Lee No, who is a licensed naturopathic doctor based out of Canada and the recipient of several awards. He is the author of Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine, the key to understanding disease, chronic illness, aging, and life itself. So, um, Dr. No, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, so what got you writing this, this book? I mean, most people probably <laughs> hearing that title think it's a little obscure. Yeah, so, so I'm going to take you back uh, quite a few years now, I guess. And this is when I was consulting for uh, a particular brand in, in Canada, and they had a product, a CoQ10 product, that was particularly stable and well-absorbed. And um, this is a, a product that was used in hospitals and other medical clinics. And uh, it just happened to be around the time that the fertility clinics started to recommend CoQ10 for their female patients. Um, now, this was based out of an earlier animal studies that suggested that you know a certain subset of uh, age-related female infertility was due to an energetic uh, deficiency in their oocytes or their eggs. And uh, what these animal studies suggested was that by giving these uh, um, individuals or animals uh, CoQ10, we could basically rescue the energetic decline in those oocytes. And, and this is the reason why this fertility clinic um, started recommending it to their, to, to their patients. And one of the things that they wanted was me to come in and do a presentation for their doctors and nurses to help them understand why they should be recommending CoQ10 to their patients. So um, in preparation for that, that presentation, um, I started to do a lot of research and start to understand the importance of mitochondria health to not just age-related infertility, but as I dug deeper, it just kind of opened the doors to all sorts of different health conditions. And um, one of the, it's just a fascinating topic, or at least I thought it was. Um, and the thing was that uh, there, are, there was a lot of research out there already on many different health conditions, uh, research uh, showing the evolution of the mitochondria, uh, throughout history, um, but what I felt was missing, or that where there, the gap was, was there was not really one uh, resource that kind of summarized or pulled all these different areas of research together into one resource, and and so that's what I set out to to do is to kind of fill that gap and have uh, a resource that is can be used as a starting point for anyone kind of entering into the world of mitochondria and mitochondrial function. So, um, you know, CoQ10 has some press uh, just because it, uh, um, you know, it's, it's in these basically um, face masks and, and things like that. I see ads on TV that talk about CoQ10 making your skin younger, but obviously there must be more than that if people are using it in fertility. But when we're, we're talking in terms of, of mitochondria, I mean, that's not a word that you hear very often. So what does that mean? Right, so mitochondria, and um, I mean, I think most of us will remember from high school biology class um, where we learned about the mitochondria as an organelle of the cell. So organelles are to a cell very similar to what organs are to our body. They're distinct 
structures that carry out specialized function. And for the mitochondria, its main um, function in the cell is to produce energy. And in fact, over 90% of the energy that's found within a cell is produced by our mitochondria. The importance uh, of this is that everything that happens in a cell requires an input of energy. Uh, and, and when I say everything, I, I li- mean that literally. <laughs> it, it's incredible how many things uh, require energy and most people won't even think about the, the small, minute, you know, biochemical pathways that, uh, that happen in our body on a daily, daily, uh, daily basis that requires energy. Um, considering that everything requires energy and the mitochondria is responsible for the vast bulk of that energy, when we start to have mitochondrial dysfunction, um, this is a situation where the mitochondria is not able to produce the energy that uh, can meet the demand for the cell's needs. And when that happens, the cell is not able to operate properly and start, uh, things start to fall apart. And that, uh, what we're seeing, according to the latest research, is showing to be the start of degenerative diseases. And, uh, and as I was kind of mentioning, that dysfunctional mitochondria has been linked to so many different diseases, including the aging process itself. So, um, I mean, why, why is this important for us to talk about this? Well, it's, it's important because, uh, as, as I mentioned, the, the newer research is showing that there is a common link between so many different um, distinct disease processes. And what's really cool about this is that if we're able to kind of target one area of the cell, or one organelle, and of course, I'm simplifying here, it's a little bit more complex than that in reality, but uh, if we're able to concentrate on improving the health of the mitochondria, in you know, one cell swoop, we can basically address or lower the risk of many, many different degenerative diseases. We can reduce the risk of cancer. We can uh, improve um, health and longevity into old age. So it, it's an incredible point to be at in in the medical profession and in our history of the, the, the medical community, start to understand that that there is uh, almost a unifying uh, root cause between, uh, between seemingly disjointed or disconnected um, disease processes. So this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important that the word gets out there. People start to understand this because um, it's not something that, to your point, it's not something that a lot of people think about when, when they think about health. You know, a lot of people probably have never even heard of the mitochondria since high school. So, um, But it is something that is becoming a little bit more important, uh, more prominent in the medical community. We're starting to hear about mitochondria dysfunction in, in conferences and such. So uh, I, I think we're at the start of this, this groundswell where we're going to start to see a lot more interest in, in mitochondrial health. So I I mean you're right we we don't hear about it um you know we there's a lot of themes that that come up no matter what I'm talking about in the show and of course food is one and and our environment is another but um mitochondria has never come up before why why is that Well I I think it was just awareness um for Awareness and, and that, well, that's, that's actually a really good question. I, I don't know if I, I have the answer for that. Um, I do know, as an example, the, um, there's an organization in Canada called Mito Canada, and they are a nonprofit charity that is, uh, their, their mission statement is essentially to raise awareness around mitochondrial disease and uh, support research into, um, into therapies for mitochondrial disease. The thing 
the interesting thing is, and I mentioned this in my book, is that when you look at you know cardiovascular health, cognitive decline, uh, diabetes, and all sorts of other health conditions, uh, and we we start to recognize that at the root of a lot of these conditions there is mitochondrial dysfunction. Even even this organization, Mitochondria, is now starting to kind of branch out and make connections with you know the Alzheimer's uh, Society and the Diabetes Foundation and things like that to kind of help them understand that, you know what, we have this, we have this umbrella of mitochondrial dysfunction and, and this is the starting point. And then after that, you know, we, we start to see the, the physical presentation of mitochondrial dysfunction and one individual might be, uh, you know, uh, uh, congestive heart failure and another person it might be diabetes. So it's one of those things that I don't think it was an, an intentional thing that the medical community never really paid attention to it, but it's just, um, it's just the evolution of the process that we're now getting to that point. We now have enough evidence in the form of clinical studies, in terms of research, that we can start to put these pieces together. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it was more uh, a situation where people were trying to ignore it, um, but it is something that, you know, as, as research continues, we, we have far too much evidence now to, to kind of uh, keep it tucked away. So you've you've mentioned mitochondria dysfunction. What does that mean? Uh, so essentially, uh, what in the broad uh, sense, it basically mm-hmm. means that the mitochondria is not able to produce the energy that that the cell needs. Um, now, one thing I didn't mention uh, earlier was that the mitochondria is actually tasked with uh, a lot more than just energy production. It um, it, it, it creates a valuable signal, uh, has a valuable signaling role in the cell. It, um, it also uh, orchestrates uh, cellular suicide or apoptosis, um, and amongst a number of other things. So mitochondrial dysfunction in the true sense means that there is something wrong with one of the processes that the mitochondria is responsible for. But like I said, considering that its main function is really to generate energy, uh, in essence, when we're talking about mitochondrial dysfunction, we really mean that you know the cell's not able to meet the energy demands of that cell. So, is this different than um, what? Because you, you've also used the term mitochondrial disease. Are those different? Uh, well, so yeah, yes and no. Uh, so, um, mitochondrial dysfunction is um, is more of a general term, whereas mitochondrial disease uh, relates specifically to to two things. Now, there is primary mitochondrial disease, and these, this is a situation where individuals are born with genetic defects in their mitochondria uh, that, uh, that basically mean that they can't meet, uh, they, their mitochondria can't meet the requirements of, the, the energetic requirements of the cell right from birth. Um, often, unfortunately, these individuals have a, a, a very low quality of life. Uh, they scrum to ulcers and degenerative disease very early on in life, including cancer. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of these uh, individuals will, will be pediatric patients that, you know, die within their first decade of life. That is primary mitochondrial disease. And I, 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 that I should also mention is more the extreme version. We have primary mitochondrial disease in individuals that are seemingly healthy and they'll live, you know, almost a full normal life. Uh, so you can kind of gauge the, the range in terms of mitochondrial disease. Then there's 
secondary mitochondrial disease, and this is something that we acquire. So when we think of things like diabetes, um, heart failure, Alzheimer's, these types of things uh, can be considered secondary mitochondrial disease because in these individuals, we're essentially born with healthy mitochondria. And over time, uh, the mitochondria picks up genetic defects that diminish its ability to meet those energetic demands. So uh, we, we acquire mitochondrial disease as, as we age. So um, does that mean that, that the mitochondria dysfunction is related to aging? It is, yes. And that's one of the, the really cool things about this. So this is, and, and so when you look, start looking at the mitochondria, and, um, it's one of those things that can interest all sorts of different people for different reasons. And when it comes to the aging process, uh, this is where, you know, it, it's partic- of particular interest to the people that would call themselves uh, life extensionists, uh, those that are purposely undergoing certain um, uh, regimes to extend their lifespan. But the mitochondria theory of aging is now considered the most accurate evidence-based theory of aging, and it, it basically replaces the uh, the free radical theory of aging, which itself had replaced the wear and tear theory of aging. So if you if you heard of those theories before, you can kind of put them in context in, in a chronological order, but basically the mitochondrial theory of aging is, is essentially saying that it's the mitochondria that are the biological clocks. Um, as long as they're functioning, uh, we can expect uh, health and longevity. As they start to deteriorate and produce less energy, that's the start of, or that's how aging looks at the cellular level. Uh, and what's, what's interesting about this, as opposed to the free radical theory of aging, is that when it comes to um, longevity or lifespan in aging, um, what the mitochondria theory of aging is essentially saying is that the, the free radicals that are generated with inside the mitochondria, that's what matters. Uh, whereas the free radical theory of aging considered exogenous sources of free radicals as well. So, you know, environmental pollutants and things like that, that would have a, that would generate free radicals, say in the blood or uh, at the level, uh, at the cellular surfaces. What the mitochondrial theory of aging is basically saying, the, the free radical generated within the mitochondria itself, that is what dictates health and long, longevity. So we're still having the free radical issue, but it's it's stemming from the mitochondrial issue. That's right. And what's um, what's really cool about this is that we're also seeing that free radicals are not universally bad either. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I also write about in my book is that they're, uh, free radicals, even though they've received um, a bad name in media, if you look at the research, uh, free radicals also have a very important signaling role in the body. So if we, you know, flood ourselves with antioxidants, as an example, uh, we essentially neutralize those beneficial free radicals, and that also impairs the function of the mitochondria. So there's always this fine balance where you're trying to minimize the damaging negative free radicals, but making sure that you're not neutralizing those beneficial free radicals. So I know that's a new concept for a lot of people to understand, to hear that free radicals are actually a good thing in certain situations. But like I said, if you're interested in learning more, um, it's all in my book and kind of gives you insight as to when, um, you know, certain antioxidant supplementations might be beneficial and when they might not necessarily be helpful. So um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Lee No, and we're discussing his book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. And we'll be back shortly. 
Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking with Dr. Lee No, and he is the author of Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. So, Dr. No, I mean, we've we've talked about what mitochondria does, but of course, I mean, we're also talking in these scientific terms that, you know, you're saying this and that, and and really, what is the impact on us when when our mitochondria starts to dysfunction? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the individual. Um, and in the previous segment, I, I mentioned, you know, we talked about mitochondrial disease and how some individuals will will die um, in childhood, whereas others um, can live a seemingly normal life. So that, as I mentioned earlier, that kind of gives us the the, the range of uh, mitochondrial dysfunction and mitochondrial disease. Uh, so it really it, 
uh, depends on the individual and where that um, that threshold uh, is crossed. So, um, and without kind of dra- dragging on the the conversation, it's probably a little bit more uh, it's too technical for for um, for this show. But essentially, as our cells divide uh, when we're in embryo, uh, we have. I, I should also mention we have thousands, hundreds to thousands of. Um, mitochondria per cell and as our cells divide they get segmented into the daughter cells and some mitochondria are perfectly fine others have some genetic defects that make it a little bit more susceptible um, to reaching the level of mitochondrial dysfunction and where those uh, cells end up or where those mitochondria end up will kind of indicate uh, where those diseases are going to take place so even though two individuals might have the exact same uh, genetic predisposition for mitochondrial disease, one individual might have those mitochondria end up in the brain and might be more susceptible to Alzheimer's disease, as an example, whereas another person might have those mitochondria end up in the heart cells um, and be more susceptible to congestive heart failure. So it really depends on the individual. It's not something that I can you know, universally say that if you have mitochondrial disease, you're going to develop this. Um, it really is one of those things. That's what makes studying mitochondrial dysfunction so complex. And and maybe going back to a previous question that you asked, you know, why has this not been as big news in, in the past? Maybe if I can say, if, if I can guess, maybe, is that studying mitochondrial health and dysfunction is so complex. It's, it's probably one of the more complex um, areas of study that we know of in medical sciences and maybe that's one of the reasons why you know it, it was always just relegated to the the research community for for the longest time um but as we're starting to understand the how mitochondria work and the, the segmenting uh that happens during uh during growth and development we're starting to understand ah you know what that's why you know one person will have one disease and another person will have another disease, even though they might have at at, at genetic level something very similar. So um, let's give an example of a specific disease. I mean, you've mentioned quite a few of them. So something like um, type 2 diabetes, which, um, you know, usually develops in, in adulthood. What is happening there? Yeah, so what's really interesting is that, uh, again, the newer research is showing that diabetes is now considered a metabolic disease. In the past, it used to be considered an endocrine disease, uh, you know, related to um, insulin. But now we're starting to see that it's, it's actually a metabolic disease. And when we approach diabetes from a metabolic viewpoint, we actually can cure diabetes, and there's been numerous studies now. I, I, I believe at least two, maybe three studies that actually show that we can actually heal and cure diabetes. Now, what ends up happening, and I'll, uh, I'll kind of try to summarize this uh, in the best way possible, um, but when we, when we consume a lot of calories, um, more calories than our bodies need, um, or in, uh, those calories come in the form of very easily usable fuels like glucose, um, what ends up happening is our cells soak up all those calories and it goes through the energy-making process, uh, which um, eventually happens in the mitochondria. And the thing is, is that when we look at all these calories entering the mitochondria, eventually what we're talking about are electrons. So the more calories we consume, the more electrons that are going to enter a, uh, um, a part of the mitochondria called the electron transport chain. 
And this is where a lot of those free radicals are generated because those electrons, if not passed down the electron transport chain properly, can spill out and cause those damaging free radicals. Uh, so when we consume more, more calories, that equals more electrons and potentially a lot more free radicals. And over time, what ends up happening is that we have a decreased function of our mitochondria in, uh, in the muscle cells. And, uh, and this basically means that they're not able to receive the signal of insulin as well as they used to. So this is what in, in, um, um, reduced insulin sensitivity looks like, especially when, once we start having you know, fat build up in the, in the cells. Uh, and then fat does build up in those muscle cells, again, because the, the mitochondria are not able to burn um, those fuels efficiently. With insulin uh, resistance in the, in, in the muscle cells, we now need more insulin um, to get that proper signal. And that is, the re- that is the job of the pancreatic beta cell. So if we look at the pancreatic beta cells, anything that requires production of compounds, packaging them up and secreting them, that, again, all takes a lot of energy. And so the metabolism of the pancreas, pancreas has to be sped up. And again, uh, that means we're generating a lot more free radicals. So in, the, in long, long-standing uncontrolled diabetes, what we end up happening, uh, seeing happen is eventually the pancreatic beta cells burn out, so to speak, and are no longer able to produce the in, uh, insulin that's, uh, that they're, they're required to do. So, um, so that eventually leads to increased blood glucose and, and a vicious cycle that kind of propagates uh, further diabetes um, for, for those individuals. But I, I don't know if that made sense. I think I, make it, I, I explain it a little bit better in my book, but uh, that's essentially what's happening in type 2 diabetes. So when we're looking at, at something like uh, type 2 diabetes, um, you know, and we're talking about insulin resistance and then the mitochondria, um, we, we did say that aging can cause the mitochondria, you know, like time will cause the mitochondria and you can also be born with the mitochondria dysfunction. But what other factors contribute? Because we know with type 2 diabetes that, that food is a factor. Is, there, right. is that contributing as, as well among some other things? Oh, yeah, uh, there's a lot. So uh, in that example, talking about diabetes, we talked about uh, the oversupply of fuel um, as, as a contributing factor. The other side of the coin is, is uh, being sedentary or not using up that, uh, that energy that we're consuming. So uh, that's one of the reasons why a sedentary lifestyle has been uh, associated with all sorts of different degenerative diseases. But outside of um, supply and demand, there are other things like um, uh, many different pharmaceutical medications have been shown to reduce the function of mitochondria. Uh, and I'll just uh, quickly point out antibiotics. A certain classes of antibiotics have been shown to damage mitochondria. And that's really interesting to note because, uh, and I, make, I, I talk about this at the start of my book, uh, mitochondria used to be bacteria. Um, before, you know, we started to develop eukaryotic cells and multi-organis- uh, multicellular organisms, um, the world was just a mass of bacteria, and one bacteria got engulfed by another, and eventually that became the, the mitochondria. So mit- mitochondria are particularly susceptible to different classes of antibiotics. Um, the other thing is uh, statins. Uh, statin medications are number one prescribed drugs in the world, used to lower cholesterol. The thing is, is that these, these 
drugs can lower the production of CoQ10 in our body. And CoQ10 is a critical component of that, those electron transport chains in the energy production. Uh, so, again, one of the things that we, we see is, uh, you know, with high doses of statin medications, we see the signs of mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, but then there are environmental toxins. Uh, me, uh, you know, heavy metals, all sorts of different or, uh, organic phosphates. Pesticides have been shown to damage mitochondria. Another reason to eat organic if possible. Um, artificial food colors. So the, the list goes on. There's uh, unfortunately, um, when you look at the list of all the things that can damage mitochondria, it, it you're, you might start to believe that it's it's everything. And unfortunately, that that is the case. One of the reasons why it's so important to be cognizant of mitochondrial health and. Uh, and, and take steps to improve it. So um, I just want to go back a little bit, talking about the statin drugs, which people take for high cholesterol, um, which is considered part of heart disease. But you're saying that that, that could cause mitochondria dysfunction, which um, in your book you list cardiovascular disease as uh, something that's um, caused by mitochondrial dysfunction. So that, that seems to me like we're going in a cycle there. Oh yeah, it kind of shows you um, the the I think the backward thinking of a lot of these uh, pharmaceutical therapies. When you consider that, first of all, uh, it's debatable whether or not cholesterol causes cardiovascular disease. We we see many situations where individuals will have hardening of the arteries and die from a heart attack or stroke, and they have normal cholesterol levels, whereas other individuals with high cholesterol levels will, will never have cardiovascular disease. So uh, the other thing to, to note is cholesterol itself is not an issue. It's, it, it's an incredibly important molecule in our body, um, but it, it starts to cause problems when it becomes oxidized, uh, and that's when it starts to get sticky, so to speak. So. So cholesterol in and of itself is not uh, too much of an issue, but the medical community, the conventional medical community, continues to see this as a villain. And anytime your cholesterol levels rise a little bit, you're you're uh, you know put on these statin medications. The, the the problem is is that as I mentioned, is that it reduces your body's ability to produce a critical component of that electron transport chain, uh, CoQ10. And so you're basically by taking these statins, you're inducing a state of uh, CoQ10 deficiency, which has uh, a direct negative impact to the mitochondria's ability to generate energy. Uh, so essentially what you're doing is you're taking statin medications to lower cholesterol, but you're inducing uh, cardiovascular disease in, in, a, in, another, in another sense. So it's one of those things that I, I'm pretty vocal about when, when it comes to statins to, you know, to minimize um, doctors prescri- prescribing uh, statins, but also making sure that individuals know that, uh, you know, statins are not necessary. If you need to control your cholesterol, there are other ways to do it, uh, more natural ways that might not necessarily um, lower your cholesterol, but improve your cholesterol, um, uh, the way cholesterol uh, behaves in your body. Uh, and that way you avoid, you know, the potential damaging effects of these statins related to the mitochondria. Yeah, it, it that um, seems pretty scary when you consider how many people are are on statins for sometimes not even very high cholesterol, um, and uh, oftentimes the doctors don't want to take them off of them. You know, they figure once you're on it, it's for life, um, and then we're talking about the damage that it can do down the road. Oh, yeah. the, the, you know, it, it's it just seems like a, a vicious cycle. Um, yeah, and, and the thing is is that when you look at uh, 
individuals that can't tolerate statin medications due to, because of their side effects. What's what's interesting, and this essentially confirms the role of CoQ10 in in um, in these individuals, is that these individuals, whether they're experiencing side effects or not able to tolerate their medications, when they're given CoQ10 alongside their statin medications, uh, and there are a number of studies that that have shown this, these individuals can um, tolerate their medications again and or the reduced uh, intensity or frequency of their the side effects. So again, as long as you're supplying the critical component, component of the electron transport chain that helps the mitochondrial function properly, um, you're, you're essentially negating the negative effects of stents, which in my mind essentially proves how damaging stents are uh, to mitochondrial health. Mm. Um. So one of the things that you talk about as well is chronic fatigue, um, which, you know, can't actually be proven. Most people with chronic fatigue are, are ignored a little bit. And it seems interesting that now you're listing it in the mitochondria dysfunction, which kind of gives hope as well that maybe that is something that, that can be proven and help people over time. Absolutely. You know what, this is, uh, this uh, as you mentioned, this is a, a condition that often gets disregarded um, by the medical community. A lot of times, uh, individuals suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, as well as myalgic encephalitis, um, have gone through many different doctors and specialists and are often told, you know, it's in your head because they can't really measure um, any disease processes because it's happening not at the, just at the cellular level but at the organelle level in terms of their, their mitochondria. Uh, and once, as we're starting to understand the, the function or the importance of, of mitochondria in, these, in this condition, uh, we're starting to understand how we can tr- better treat these individuals. And there's an excellent resource, and I actually mentioned this book in, in my book, um, by a doctor uh, out of the UK uh, named Sarah Myhill. And she's written a book called, um, uh, what is it, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and Myalgic Encephalitis. It's mitochondria, not hypochondria. And she's actually developed a way to measure uh, uh, mitochondrial function. Um, And I I think she's at the forefront of understanding the importance of mitochondrial function and dysfunction in um, chronic fatigue syndrome. So if you have an opportunity to pick up her book, I would highly recommend it as well because it's very insightful for anyone that has chronic chronic fatigue. It's probably the the best resource to get, get their life back on track. Okay, well, thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Lee No, and we're discussing his book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. We'll be back shortly. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Dr. Lee No, and we're discussing his book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. So, um, you know, we've talked about what this mitochondria dysfunction is, but what I'm wondering is, can we reverse this or slow it down? Yes, and that's the, the most exciting part of what I, I like to talk about is, that, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about, you know, all the, the downsides of mitochondrial function. But how can we address this? And, and there are many different ways we can. And it, it will, again, be an individual thing. Certain things will work better for others, uh, certain individuals than others. But, um, but it can be done. Um, and, and I think as we, as we talk about it, we're going to start to see, we're going to do research on it, we're going to start to see that there's a lot more we can do than what we just know right now. So you, you mentioned earlier um, CoQ10 as something that people can do. Are there any other nutrients that do help? There, there are. So these, these are what I would term uh, mitochondrial nutrients, and uh, CoQ10 is probably the one that most readily comes to mind. But there is another valuable nutrient called D-ribose, which is a five-carbon sugar that is uh, used as the backbone of our energy molecule. So in our, in our body, whenever we're talking about cellular energy, we're essentially talking about a compound called ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, and D-ribose is a cr- critical component that makes up that adenosine component of ATP. 
Um, the thing that I'll quickly mention here as well, even though I said it's a five carbon sugar, it has no Im- negative impact to, to blood glucose. Um, so it's safe for diabetics. And one thing that might be worth mentioning is that there are situations where individuals found that their blood glucose levels actually dropped by taking uh, D-ribose. Uh, so if you do have um, diabetes, it's I would say it's highly beneficial, but just keep an eye on your blood glucose levels, not because it's going to increase your blood glucose, but there might be a chance that it could lower it. Um, there are Most B vitamins are critical for, for mitochondrial function, in particular B3 and um and B3 is essentially because it's a precursor to an energy molecule called NAD+. Um, and we're, again, when we start looking at these different compounds and what it means to um, mitochondrial function, we're starting to realize how important NAD and NADH are. Um, there, magnesium is, is incredibly important as well. So again, when we talk about ATP, we're essentially talking about magnesium ATP because every molecule of ATP is stabilized by an ion of magnesium. Uh, and, and, and the list goes on. Like I said, there, there's a, a number of other nutrients that I talk about in my book. Um, but I'd say those, the, the ones that I just mentioned are the, the, uh, the main ones. Um, so, so is there also, like in your book, you talk about um, fasting, which is becoming a very popular topic these days. Is that something that's helpful? It is. And so, so when, I, when I think about fasting, I think about two different things. Um, fasting in and of itself, um, but also a longer term uh, scenario called calorie restriction. And whether, whether we're talking calorie restriction or fasting, essentially what we're, we're looking at is reducing the, 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 the electrons that end up in our mitochondria. So uh, what's really cool is when you look at the studies around calorie restriction, it's the only therapy or dietary regime that's been shown to extend lifespan across every species that we ever studied, including primates, which are our closest uh, relatives. Uh, so there is, and unfortunately, we, we don't have long-term studies on calorie restriction in humans. But, uh, but like I said, in, in primates and rhesus monkeys, we, we see that by reducing calories, we can actually extend lifespan and, and delay the onset of degenerative diseases. But, but, but fasting it can, can be a component of calorie restriction or it can be done on, on its own, uh, and including intermittent fasting, which is something that I think is a lot easier for people to do and is seeing a lot of popularity these days. Um, but there are, that is one, one area. Then there's uh, the ketogenic diet, which is, um, doesn't necessarily mean you're reducing the, the, the calories, but you're switching up the type of fuel that, that powers our mitochondria. Um, ketogenic diets have been shown to benefit all sorts of different conditions, including cancer and Alzheimer's. Again, I make mention of this uh, in my book and try to help people understand why ketogenic uh, diets uh, and those types of uh, you know, uh, high-fat diets are, are beneficial. Um, but then there's exercise, there's um, cold thermogenesis, uh, there's a few other things that we can do that improve the health of mitochondria. So when when somebody's looking at you know what we've been discussing, how can they find out if or know if they have mitochondria dysfunction? Well, it's as I mentioned, it's it's one of those things that is uh, at this point uh, not possible. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Sarah Myhill, uh, the research behind. Uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, it has developed uh, a test that is able to help measure that. 
um, but it's not something that's readily available uh, and commonly used at this point. Maybe uh, down the road that, that test will be more widely available and, and um, easier to interpret for the general public. Uh, but at this time, it's very, it's essentially, um, the, the answer to your question is essentially, no, we don't have uh, an, an easy test to, to measure mitochondrial function. So the, my, my take on it is, if you look at the way mitochondria accumulate damage, it's safe to say that the older we are, the more damage we have to our mitochondria. Um, so start, you know, mitochondria health and caring about mitochondria health, I think, should start right from birth. Um, e- even, you know, in utero uh, with, with the mom caring for the mitochondria of their, their, uh, their child. Um, but it's definitely starting in our early early 30s uh, into our 40s, I think it becomes increasingly important to be mindful of, you know, the different toxins that you're, you're exposing your body to, um, making sure that you're being physically active, making sure that you're eating a clean diet, things like that, just so that you can give your mitochondria the, the best opportunity to maintain its health uh, long into the future. But uh, to answer your question, it's very difficult to test mitochondrial function at this point. Well, you know, it makes sense if it's related to aging and then, you know, the the um, the common issues that, that you mentioned in your book, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, depression, chronic fatigue, diabetes and, and fertility. And there's more that you mentioned in your book. I mean, these are all things that either we're affected by because they're so common or we're afraid to be affected by them. So it just makes sense to 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 keep this in mind um, at a certain point or as you said through our whole lives right so um, is there I know we talked about um, you know we've talked about all the things that people can do are they all necessary if somebody doesn't have an illness or can they keep it at a um, you know just taking a certain supplement or that kind of thing Right, so I think the more you can do to improve your mitochondria health, the, the better. But of course, the the level at which you um, are taking these, whether it's the dose or the intensity of your physical activity, things like that, can vary uh, person to person depending on the situation. Um, for individuals that have things like chronic fatigue or uh, primary mitochondrial disease in, in, in childhood, you know, the, we definitely want to be mindful as to how while we're pushing these individuals in terms of things like physical activity, I think it's still definitely a requirement for that because uh, for them because physical activity has so many benefits and it basically train our, our mitochondria to become more efficient as well as help our bodies generate more mitochondria. But of course, these individuals have very limited capacity for for energy production, so we don't want to burn them out with you know a particularly hard or intense bout of exercise. Um, but in general, all these different therapies, nutrients um, should be suitable for, for everyone. Having said that, I will say, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, undergoing a ketogenic diet for, for some individuals might not necessarily be the, the best idea, especially if you have, uh, you know, uh, different situations uh, like primary mitochondrial disease. It's still up in the air whether or not a ketogenic diet it would be beneficial or harmful for them. So it's one of those things that in general I can say that most of the things that I talk about in my book are suitable, um, but just like everything else in medicine and biology, we have to always be mindful of the individual and make sure that we're not doing something that would compromise an individual's health. 
because there are so many different factors that come into play. So just because, you know, uh, fasting might be suitable for one individual doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be suitable for you. So it's one of those things that I really do want to make sure that people are following up with their healthcare practitioners and just making sure that what they do is best for them. Well, you know, and I, I think also in, in your comment that just taking the D-ribose can lower your blood sugar or doing any of these things can, um, you know, reverse the disease process. It's important to have somebody monitoring you just to even in case you need to lower your medication or um, some things like that are changing. That's right. Absolutely. That's a great point you brought up because uh, same, same thing. I mean, with, with CoQ10, I, and I'll just use this as an example because it's something I've talked about a lot. Um, you know, CoQ10 can reduce the effectiveness of a certain class of blood thinners. So considering that a lot of people with, you know, cardiovascular disease will be on certain types of blood thinners, there's a potentially a very powerful side effect that could could come about if you take CoQ10 in, or you recommend CoQ10 in the wrong person. So, yeah, it, it, self-prescribing is, is usually not the, the best idea. If, if possible, always follow up with your healthcare practitioner that, that can guide you and make sure that what you're doing is suitable for you. So there's something else that you mentioned in your book that can be helpful, which is cannabis. What does that do? Yeah, so this is really interesting um, because now the research I should also mention is is very new and it's it's still emerging um but it's it's uh it's an area that's receiving a little bit more attention so the uh, so where cannabis comes into play is cannabis uh activates a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system and the endocannabinoid system is the body's master regulator for homeostasis or balance and what we're finding is that uh, so basically you can look at the endocannabinoid system as a thermostat so anytime you're you know things are too hot, it'll kick on uh, kick on the AC to, to bring the temperature back down. And if it's too cold, they'll kick on the heat or the furnace to, to bring the temperature back up. So that's exactly what the endocannabinoid system does in our body. Uh, it tries to keep everything within balance, within a narrow functional range. Um, and cannabis is is by far the, the most prominent um, substance known to, to address um, the endocannabinoid system. What we're finding is that mitochondria actually have cannabinoid receptors on, on its membrane. And um, uh, different things have been shown, different cannabinoids have been shown to influence mitochondria in different ways. So one of the things that we know is that when we use cannabis or activate the endocannabinoid system, we can modify our mitochondria metabolism. We can ramp it up or we can tone it down. Um, we, different uh, things, I, I believe CBD, which is another component in uh, cannabis, has been shown to uh, in, induce mitochondrial biogenesis. So it basically helps our mitochondria divide. And, and that's a good thing uh, normally because that means the more mitochondria we have, the more energy we can actually produce. So there's a, there's a lot of exciting research going on um, around the endocannabinoid system and, uh, and cannabis uh, with respect to mitochondrial function. And as I mentioned, it is it is new and emerging research, but uh, definitely an exciting area to be involved in. Um, well, you know, it definitely is a new area. I mean, we still have some controversy around it, but I, I think people are, are opening up to it more just by realizing how helpful it is. And, you know, it, the the days of the idea of, you know, just somebody getting stoned in their basement is, is changing and it's becoming more and more necessary, um, especially with the opioid crisis that we're oh, absolutely. in these days. Yeah, and- 
and this is, I mean, I keep my different worlds kind of separate for the most part, but uh, I do quite a bit of um, presentations, uh, both to practitioners as well as uh, the general public around cannabis and the endocannabinoid system. And I actually consult for a, uh, another brand that is involved, uh, not with, not directly with cannabis, but we, uh, it's an aromatherapy uh, business that addresses the need of mitochondria, sorry, um, medical cannabis users. And, and so this, this is an area that I'm, I'm very close to and know a lot about. And you're right, that whole idea of, you know, the, the lazy stoner and things like that, it's just so far from the truth. And all the fear-based propaganda that we've been fed over the last few decades, uh, the newer research is showing that that cannabis is, is such an incredible healing uh, uh, herb and has so much to offer that um, that I think as people start to realize this, people's perception are going to change, especially in Canada with legalization efforts uh, in full force. Uh, I think we're going to see that, you know, this is going to be one of those things that bring about a lot of health benefits to, to the uh, general public. I definitely agree. And do you have any advice for somebody who's wanting to get um, to get started or to look into helping themselves with mitochondrial dysfunction? Uh, well, there, there are many different resources out there. Um, as I mentioned, um, there are a lot of um, lot lot of other researchers uh, besides myself um, active in mitochondrial health and function. Um, a lot of um, so what, what I guess. Uh, without, you know, um, uh, well, I guess this is a bit, a bit of a uh, shameless plug for my book, but I would say that uh, if you are interested in, in learning more about mitochondria and its function, uh, my book is probably a great starting point. Um, and if you want to go deeper into any particular aspect of the mitochondria, I have in the references section all the different uh, journal articles as well as other resources that I've consulted with or considered in writing my book. So, you, you know, as an example, if you're, um, you're interested in, in Alzheimer's disease, uh, you can start with my book to get a better understanding of the importance of mitochondria, how they work, and its relationship to, to cognitive decline in Alzheimer's. But then you can pick up a, a different resource that goes way deeper and does a much deeper dive into that particular um, condition. So I think a great starting point would be uh, would be my book. But like I said, there are many other resources out there that uh, that's freely available for, for most people. Perfect. And do you have a website people can find you at if they have more questions? Sure. My uh, my author website uh, is leeno.com. So just L-E-E-K-N-O-W.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter as well. Leeno uh, at me. Sorry, at Lee Knows 3D, so the number three, letter D, after Lee Knows. So that are, those are the two best places uh, to reach me. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Dr. Risk. Thank you again. <laughs> And I want to thank everybody for listening. Today we were talking with Dr. Lee No, and we were discussing his book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.